Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Back with us is USA Today's John Crumpler, lead analyst for the Texans Wire. Great to see you. And John, even though Casario denied he was in trouble Monday, local and national sources believe he'll be out as Texans GM within the next year, maybe much sooner. A lot of speculation going on on Casario. Can you sum up what you've heard and what you believe at this point? To my understanding, obviously, last Monday, Michael Lombardi was really the first person to talk about this situation, that there were rumblings that Nick Casario could leave Houston after the season, or I think he referred to it as a reshuffling. And then when those reports were brought up to John McClain on Sports Radio 610, John McClain said that he'd heard at the NFL Combine that Casario could potentially return to New England. I kind of poked around to ask about that, and I heard, um, I'll call it a mixed bag of things that would support that and that would also refute that. But obviously today, the big story, Nick Casario comes to the press conference, and he said, I I can't believe I even have to address this. I'll be here. Um, I I think it's fair to say I I would expect Casario to be here through the season. As turn to the future, I I think it is a weird situation when reports like that are getting out. I think it's never felt like a super stable situation with uh, even Casario's initial press conference before they hired D'Amico Ryan saying, if I needed to go into a different role, I would uh, be willing to do that for the team wherever they think is best for me. So it's something I'll be watching closely, but I think all signs at this point, especially if Casario speaking on it himself, would suggest that he's going to be the general manager of the Houston Texans moving forward. He said in the press conference that I heard, quote, I'll be here, um, but... Uh, he didn't say in what capacity, and that's part of the rumors, right, John? Because some people think he, he could go to New England, but the other part of that rumor was he could just be moved to another position. position. And, you yeah. know, that wouldn't shock me. He didn't he didn't speak about that in any capacity. I just I, I don't know how much to look into it for now, and I think we're not going to know, and I'm sure the public will all find out collectively on that kind of thing. But I do think it's reassuring if we expect him to be at the building that it does create an aligned front going into the draft next week, which is a, someone who covers the Texans for fans of the Texans. I think that's a very reassuring thing to know because it was a bit of a question of, okay, who's calling the shots? Is, is it a good idea to have Casario in this capacity if he's going to be gone after the week? What do you think of the job that Casario has done so far? Because really, I feel like we know part of what he's done, but we really don't know everything. I mean, you could say Stingley over Sauce Gardner looks like a big mistake right now. We still don't know anything about Kenyon Green and where he's at. John Mechie had its own situation. That's not his fault. But, I mean, the picks right now, Davis Mills, there's a lot of picks that don't look all that good. And in free agency, it's a lot of short-term patchwork Band-Aid fixes right now and nothing really long-term out of of much of what he did. He he did some things to straighten out the books for sure, but what do you think? I mean, I think at best, Nick Casario is probably an average general manager in the NFL right now. We can start with what he did really well. I think he navigated a very awkward, both public and internal situation with former quarterback Deshaun Watson. And I think he got maximum trade value for a player that clearly – had a lot of power in where he was going to go. Um, just looking at the kind of contract he got right after he left. I, I think he navigated that beautifully. But then after that, I, I don't know if Casario's done a lot of things that you couldn't expect an average NFL front office person to do. He has cleared the books, but that just happened by virtue of waiting here. And when we had $70 million in dead cap last season, $35 million of that was generated by Casario in his own moves. Uh, I think the draft picks, you know, obviously there's some young talent on the team. 
But that's what happens when you're a bad team and you have picks. You know, you get to pick someone like Derek Stingley and can. I, I, it's hard for me to give credit for picks that aren't a home run right now because any GM would have gotten to make those. And you look at the 2021 draft, I think there's maybe at best one potential full-time starter moving forward, Nico Collins. I think he's going to take a step forward with better quarterback play. And then 2022, like you said, really um, both the first-round picks right now are huge question marks. We have no idea what John Mechie is. Uh, Christian Harris, we don't know what he is right now. Really, Damian Pierce is the first pick of the fourth round, and that's his best move as a GM other than the Deshaun trade right now. So uh, I think with time, he could look a lot better. But right now, I'm not super impressed. I think um, this draft will be huge, and how those 2022 picks develop will tell us a lot about um, how to feel regarding Nick Casario as GM. Yeah, I, I just don't know what to think at this point. And I, I'm concerned about some of these guys, but we'll wait and see. And we need to talk about the Texans draft and the latest rumors on the number two pick. But first, I just want to remind everybody to subscribe and comment on YouTube. Listen on the run by subscribing on your favorite podcast app. And John, I heard Lance Zerline say Monday morning that he heard from people around the league that the Texans are shopping the number two pick. He also seems pretty certain that the Texans do not like Stroud and that Bryce Young will be the number one pick. Do you have any idea which direction they might go? And what do you think of all that? I don't think I know more than anyone in the national media about what Houston would do. I would say with 98, 99% certainty based on people I've spoken to and combining that with national reports that Bryce Young will be the number one overall pick to the Carolina Panthers, which is a shame because that was Houston's uh, top target. I think there was a lot of certainty with how they felt about him in the room. Um, in regards to C.J. Stroud, I had also heard that the team was not very high on him. They might be looking at other options for the quarterback position, but it places them in a very awkward point where C.J. Stroud's probably the only quarterback that's worth being taken at the number two overall pick. And if you don't like him, are you going to reach for another quarterback at that spot? Um, quarterback obviously is both the most valuable position and the biggest hole on your team. So if you want to go in a different direction, can you justify one of these defensive players there? And if you trade the pick, um, you have to be one, you have to find good value. And two, you have to find the right trade partner. And I think Houston's going to be in a really interesting situation for the next 10 days here, because it feels like they've shown their hand that the public and teams around the league are going to know you probably don't want to take CJ Stroud. Arizona doesn't want to take a quarterback. Uh, why don't we just let Indianapolis take one? And we know that two of the four are going to come tumbling down the board all our way. Yeah. That's the real tricky part about this, because if you trade and you try to go down and pick up a quarterback, Maybe a few picks later, is there going to be a quarterback that is there? Because Arizona can say, well, we don't really need a quarterback. We're going to trade out of that position. Somebody else jumps up. They take C.J. Stroud. Maybe Indianapolis takes a quarterback. I mean, all these quarterbacks start coming off the board really quickly. We know how valuable that position is. Guys want to move yeah. up. And if you're the Texans, trying to move down and still getting a quarterback is real difficult. And how do you sell the Texans fans after this entire offseason the excitement of D'Amico Ryans and say, you know what? Our quarterback this year is going to be Davis Mills or Case Keenan. I, I have a lot of reasons they should pick a quarterback. I think it's the best way to optimize the value of the position. I ultimately don't believe if they miss on the pick that they're going to be in a very different position than if they hit on a different player. The position is just that valuable today in the league for if you want to compete in for meaningful games. Um, but I, I don't think it's the most convincing reason, but exactly what you said. How do you carry this momentum of hiring D'Amico Ryans, of having um, a pretty strong free agent period. You know, you had money, you spent it. You brought in a lot of starters, a lot of 
uh, new faces. I think Dalton Schultz, Robert Woods, those guys are going to sell jerseys for the team. People are going to be excited about watching Jimmy Ward in the backfield with Jalen Petrie. Um, it's going to be a bit of a do uh, a screeching halt if you come out of the first round with Will Anderson. And I, I don't really think any player at 12 could salvage that. Even if you took the local guy, Bijan Robinson, I think fans would still have a hard time saying, okay, what this is the National Football League. We, we just watched the quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. We see the quarterbacks in the playoffs. What's your plan to get us there? Because we don't know if we're going to pick this high again. Yeah, if you believe that Anthony Richardson is the guy, why even bother taking a chance and worrying about the fact that he might not be on the board or Will Levis or whoever, why not just draft him at number two? I mean, the quarterback is everything in the NFL. And either you want one of these guys or you don't. And to me, it's like you you, you get the guy at number two. Nobody's going to criticize you if you draft him at two instead of like trying to trade down a few picks if, if he's a decent quarterback at all. Well, Robert, would you feel that way if they took Will Levis at second overall? I, 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 I'm... Not a fan of his at all. I mean, I just do not like Will Levis. I don't trust the fact that he's going to be any good in the NFL. So, you know, I'm not going to be real thrilled with that. But I, I just think it's ridiculous not to draft the quarterback this year. Um, if all of these guys are terrible, then you look like a genius. But typically, somebody later somebody in the first round, somebody will hit. This is, this is that's the way it happens in the, in the NFL. And I would just question the process of, if you miss on, let's say you take C.J. Stroud and maybe his concerns from Ohio State do come to fruition. He doesn't handle pressure very well. Um, that S2 processing stuff really um, has a hard time coming off that first read in the league and he's not a great quarterback. Are you in a dramatically different position than if you drafted Will Anderson and he's a Pro Bowl defensive end? Because I, I don't think you're in a very different position at all in terms of your ability to compete in the landscape of the AFC. You are still... Um, you, you still don't have a paddle without that quarterback. So I, I agree with you. I, I wouldn't love if it's Will Levis, but the process would make the most sense there. And, Even if that's if I'm, This is the way I feel. If, if Hendon Hooker is picked by the Texans at 12, I would be more excited about Hendon Hooker at 12 than Will yeah. Levis at two. That's how I, bad, that's that's what I think of Will Levis. <laughs> I think Will Levis is a much better prospect than Hendon Hooker. I, I don't think Hendon Hooker did anything last season that translates to the league. I think it's um, for anyone watching those Art Bryles, Baylor teams, it's that same kind of offense, really, those concepts that were so successful. Um, it does not really translate to the NFL level. Obviously, an older prospect. Not a lot of things I saw in film from him that would justify a selection in the first round. I, I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't touch him in the top of the second for me personally. Um, but I, I guess Hendon Hooker could be in play at the end of the first. I'd be okay with Will Levis because I think Will Levis has NFL traits. I think he comes from an NFL system. I, I question about his pressure, but I think that's a guy who deserves to go in the first round and it can feasibly has a path to becoming an NFL high-level starting quarterback versus when you talk about Hendon Hooker, I think his most common comp is Geno Smith is what you hear a lot. And my question, are you taking Geno Smith in the first round is, is what I ask people with Hooker. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I, if, if you don't take one of those top three, three guys to me, and I, I'm going to put Richardson and I'm not a Will, Will Evans fan. If you don't take them it, with the, with the second pick, I just don't, I don't know if you, you're going to be taking a quarterback. I don't know if you should take a quarterback at this point. And, you know, I, I just, you keep coming back to the fact that people think, well, you wait till next year. And it's just as hard next year to get that guy at the top of the draft because, you know, do you feel like just sucking for another year and mm -hmm. start throwing games and tanking basically to try to get 
one of these top two quarterbacks because that's what you're going to basically have to do because other teams out there are going to be bad also. And if you want D'Amico Ryans to be a good coach, you, you'd kind of like to see it in the first season. Absolutely. I mean, what happens if the Arizona Cardinals are picking first overall and they say, we're going to take Caleb Williams, we're going to reset the clock with a rookie quarterback, we'll trade Kyler. And then the Los Angeles Rams, they've got Stafford on a big deal. They want to take Drake May at number two, just thinking about some teams that could be at the top. And all of a sudden, if you're Houston, even if D'Amico takes a small step forward, let's say you're picking ninth, like the Carolina Panthers were. All of a sudden, you're trading three first-round picks, not for the number one guy in the class, maybe not even for the number two guy in the class. You might be trading three first-round picks for a guy like Quinn Ewers from Texas or a guy like Bo Nix um, from Oregon. And, and that's a really risky proposition looking to the future and saying, I, I hope we're okay with the third-best quarterback potentially. I'm going to give you one other scenario, and I haven't heard this at all from anybody, but I'm just throwing it out there just because maybe it's possible if you're the Texans, is there any way that you would think about trying to trade for Lamar after the NFL draft is over with? I would think about it. Yeah. I mean, is it feasible? Probably not. But if this is what you want to do, I I do not think the route that a lot of us think Houston's about to take, which is taking Will Anderson and potentially not taking quarterback at 12. I, I do not understand where you're going to pivot towards winning football and having a viable plan in the AFC. If they want to explore Lamar, I, I think that would be a plan worth, I, I would, I would support that. I think it'd be very expensive. I'm not sure this roster is built to take on a contract like Lamar yet, but it would be an interesting Avenue for sure. Not something I've thought about for Houston, but it would be fun to watch. Yeah, I just I just thought about it because nobody's talked about it with the Texans. And a lot of times these things happen when nobody's talking about whenever he's talking about it. Nothing ends up happening sometimes. So we'll see about all that. Remind everyone how they can connect with you on social media and find your work. Yeah, Robert, thank you so much for having me on. And you guys can find me on Twitter at John H. Crumpler. I'm pretty active on there. And all of my work can be found at the Texans Wire, um, TexansWire.usatoday.com. So. We'd love to have you after the draft's over with. You got to come back and tell us what you think, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just shoot me a message, man. Happy to come on. Great stuff from John Crumpler. As always, we're going to try to have him again after the draft, get his take on that. But, Sean, let's talk some Astros because the Astros continue to kind of struggle. They lose the season or the weekend series to the Rangers. What do you think of what you saw over the weekend and – Anything changing on what you believe with the Astros right now? No, I'm still not panicking. Um, you know, I wasn't thrilled with the Rangers series. Um, you know, they really could have gotten swept if not for uh, uh, Gray taking the ball off of the arm, you know, and uh, leaving. You know, the Astros end up, you know, putting some runs on the board there in that situation. And, um, you know, it was looking like they could win that series when their first home series of the season. Still young. They didn't. Didn't happen. Uh, slow start pitching wise. There's maybe some concerns that are starting to creep in for me on Luis Garcia, particularly. Um, but I kind of table that because these are all, the concerns that I have are things that we talked about in the offseason that kind of could kind of creep up. And it has everything to do with the rule changes, how it would affect him, how he's going to have to change and has changed his pitching uh, style in terms of at least his setup. So I think that could be an issue, um, but there's nothing really 
that set in for me, Robert, that I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I listen to, to this stuff every day, every day. You know, I, I'm just like you, like everybody else that's listening or watching us right now. I'm a sports nut. And so I'm trying to take it all in and just kind of come up with my own thoughts on these things after watching these games and these players. And, you know, people that are saying that the Astros just aren't as good this year as they were last year or the year before that or the year before that or the year before that or the year before that, like, shut up. You know, I, I don't want to hear that crap because you're, you're looking at a World Series winning team from last year, minus not even a handful of players. You returned most everybody that helped you do what you did last year. And don't tell me they're not good enough. I can I can ride with you and I will die with you if you tell me that they're just not performing up to their capabilities yet through freaking 16 games. Outside of that, I don't want to hear, you know, oh, my God, the sky's falling because it's baseball. You know, I remember, what was it, last year they had this slow start and then they won like 15 of their next 17 games or whatever it was. So this team can get hot just like any other really good team in baseball can get hot. And the best part about it is, is you're not in the AL East where the Tampa Bay Rays have just moaned through everybody and you're not the Yankees, which what, what are they now, like five or six games back of the Rays? You're two and a half games, you know, out of first place right now through 16 games of the season. I'm not worried. Okay, I'm going to go the opposite of you. Not to say that I'm worried about that the Astros aren't good enough or be, uh, as good as they were last year. I'm just going to say, hey, the rest of baseball – and their division specifically is better. This Rangers team is a better team. Bruce Bochy is a Hall of Fame manager that they have this year. They've added players over the last couple of years. Those players are starting to have an effect on what kind of team that they are. This division is going to be a little bit tougher, but most importantly, they're not playing everybody in this division all of the time. So with a different schedule, as I warned everybody about before the season start, that's going to make a difference. And look, the Astros aren't as good as they were last year because a guy named Jose Altuve, he's not played and he's not going to play for the first couple of months, most likely. And that's a big deal. And as I told everybody, like when we're going over who are the Astros most valuable players going into the year, the most valuable, Sean, remember what I said? I said, do not sleep on Jose Altuve is one of the most valuable players. I said, Fromber and Javier for sure. But I said, right there in the top three, is Jose Altuve because he is the straw that stirs the drink to this whole thing. His yeah. leadership, his ability to ignite this lineup. Look, when, when he's on, this lineup sings. We've seen it over and over and over again over the last few seasons. When he's off, the lineup struggles. And he's usually on. So that's made a big difference to, to the consistency of this lineup. I, I don't disagree with anything you said. Uh, you know, I agree with, um, you know, two very strongly. One, there are a lot of teams, specifically in the American League, that are better. Okay. We talked about that this offseason. This is what teams like the Astros do to other ball clubs. One, they make you spend ridiculously amounts of money, which a lot of teams have. Some not even in the American League, but that's what they make you do. They make you, you know, do stupid, desperate looking things and you know so far so good it's worked out for a lot of these teams that look really good especially in the division like the rangers like the mariners who are one of the hotter teams in the american league right now not named the tampa bay rays are playing good baseball uh which should be no surprise um and you know look it's early but the angels are up there this looks like it could be a very fun division 
Okay. And that's what I've been wanting ever since the Astros moved from the NL to the AL. The other thing that I really strongly agree with you on is Jose Altuve's value. But I will say this, it has to be noted when you boast like you do, and I'm talking about Astro fan in general, just fans about how uber talented and special this roster is in this lineup specifically with Jordan, with Jose Abreu, never mind his decline right now and his slump that he's going through, whatever. Uh, but Kyle Tucker, you just go on down the list. You know the lineup, guys. If you're going to talk about how good it is, then you've got to be able to pick the guys up when they're not there or when they're not at full strength. And that's so many times what we've seen over the course of this run over the last six years. It hadn't been always Jose Altuve, but we've seen Jordan miss, you know, ball games during stretches. Uh, we've seen Alex Bregman miss ball games during stretches. Even when Carlos Correa was here, he missed a chunk of time numerous times. Um, and so I know this ball club, this roster, players that are on this team right now today are capable of doing that and playing better baseball collectively. And that's what we haven't seen. It's so early that, you know, we haven't really seen the pitching and the hitting, you know, kind of come together in gel yet. And that's a little bit different, you know, maybe from what we're used to, but it's not any different from what we're used to seeing through the first month of a Astro season. It, it happens. Teams go through these ebbs and flows. And for the first time, um, you know, ever, I think, right? Jose Altuve's never missed the first two months of an MLB season before. So the guy that, you know, stirs the drink, the guy that they feed off of, the heartbeat and soul of this team is not there to start. Yeah, that that's going to be tough. You knew you were going to have to overcome that. Um, Michael Brantley dealing with whatever he's dealing with and it might be a little bit more than just an injury, you know, the shoulder thing that he's trying to come back from. There might be something else there going on, too, um, because we do know he missed time in spring training due to personal reasons. What that was, how deep that was, nobody knows yet. And hopefully everything's all good with him. But they're missing two very vocal, influential and productive pieces of their lineup. So, yeah, they're not technically as good, you know, as they used to be. But those guys will be back and presumably healthy when they're ready to return. And I think this team is talented enough to kind of keep the ship a sail until they do return. Yeah, I'm not going to make a big deal out of Brantley because he's been in and out of the lineup a lot over the last couple of years. We'll see if he stays mm -hmm. healthy. They're seven and nine this year to start the season. We're talking to you Monday early evening. So it's before the Monday night game. So just to give you an idea of where we're at as we're talking about this. So. If they win 30 to three in this game, just keep that in mind in, in the Monday night game. But they're seven and nine in, in 2023 after Sunday's game. They were seven and nine in 2022. They were seven and nine in 2021. They were seven and nine in 2020. The Astros, for whatever reasons, when they are good, they get off to bad starts. We saw them, Sean, you and I get off to historically bad starts in 2004 and 2005. Yeah. And then they came up with a miraculous comeback there. Now, I, I where I disagree with you a little bit, and I talked about it in the last show, I, I, I'm seriously concerned about Jose Abreu. And the thing with Jose Abreu and the difference between him and Yuli Gurriel is Yuli Gurriel makes plays at first base that saves your team. And we saw it on Sunday when it was a play that um, I think Gurriel would have made last year and most years uh, with the Astros, ball in the dirt, Jeremy Pena with a bad throw. Yes, Pena gets 
blame for that throw, but that was just a play that Yuli would bail you out on, and it cost the Astros dearly. Fromber couldn't get out of trouble. The bullpen couldn't get out of trouble. You know, defense is a big deal, and we always take it for granted. We always just go, well, what is the guy doing offensively? And we thought, well, Jose Abreu, look at his offensive numbers compared to what Yuli did last year. But keep in mind this defense, and, you know, it, it eases up the things on the bullpen. It sometimes gets starters out of trouble. I mean, it, it's a big deal. And Abreu, I'm still not seeing anything that makes me think, Sean, that he's going to get out of this pretty quickly. His bat, like we keep saying it, it looks slow. Looks yeah, slow. well, and the data says that it's slowed down as well. Um, I mean, I haven't seen actual bat speed data, which – surprised it's been so difficult for me to find i just i haven't been able to see anything that's uh credible i'll say that but the number over three weeks he has two extra base hits in his first basically three weeks of the season those numbers the extra base hits but the direction in terms of where he's hitting the ball where the outs are coming from you know those things we can point to and attribute to a possibility that it, it it means his bat has slowed down in terms. They're not loud of, outs. They're not loud outs either. They're not loud outs. You're right. And it's a lot to, you know, the opposite field and things like that. And I pointed those statistics out to you the other day where there's been a pretty steady decline over the course of the last three seasons. So there's that. But you and I did talk about this quite a bit during the offseason before it became apparent that Yuli Gurriel was for sure not going to come back. Um, with this Astros ball club. Look, he's a gold glove first baseman. You know, um, you can make an argument that he could have and should have won a dang gold glove in each of the last four or five seasons, you know, in the bigs. He's just that good. But the numbers lended out to be true, specifically with what you're talking about last year with his pick rate, you know, at first base. How many plays did he save? at first base from throws across the diamond from Bregman or throws from Jeremy Pena or whatever it is. Like the guy's and, and, just that good. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that I, that frustrates me. The Astros didn't make an offer from all we heard to Yuli Gurriel. He, he was offered a minor league contract to the Marlins. So why not just give him the same contract with the Astros? You know, he would rather be here, but with the assurance that he's, he's probably going to be in the major leagues the whole season. And, and here's the deal. The Astros didn't sign him to sign a third catcher to start the season, a third catcher that barely plays in uh, Cesar Salazar. I mean, look at it this way. I mean, you could have Yuli Gurriel, you know, maybe giving Abreu some occasional blows or whatever at first base. And Gurriel, you, you would have his brain on the bench, which I, I would like to have his brain on the bench and, and his personality on the bench to, for this ball club. And the other part about it that just makes no sense to me is, you know, with Yuli Gurriel, the, the thing with him is he's a clutch hitter and he would give you somebody in, in the later innings to bring up in a clutch situation. I would prefer over some of the guys that we have right now. And the thing about having a third catcher on the roster, Sean, right now, what, what doesn't make any sense is that Dusty always refuses to pinch hit Martin Maldonado late in games in big situations. And if you're not pinch hitting Martin Maldonado, what's the point of having a third catcher on the bench? Yeah, I mean, I know he didn't the other day, but, you know, it's not to say that he never does. I mean, we, we do see it, but 
Um, you know, Dusty's reasoning for not doing it the other day. I mean, he went down the line with the players, you know, with Cesar Salazar not having enough at-bats, you know, jokes. Um, oh, you know, you, you, not- you know who has enough at-bats right there to pinch it? Yuli Gurriel. You're, you're oh, you're right. Right. Well, and he's got the pelts on the wall, too. I mean, I think he's a 300 hitter so far this season for the Marlins, um, which is, is not a surprise at all to me. I mean, we spent a lot of time this offseason talking about this guy because it just drug along and along and along. And nobody ever squashed it from the Astros that said, yeah, we're not considering bringing this guy back. They never officially moved on until they officially moved on, until Yuli officially moved on and signed with the Marlins. Um, and I, I, there's nothing for me to say. I mean, through 16 games, if anybody was going to say, I told you so, I guess I'll be the guy to do it. I told you so. Like, I would have loved to have Yuli back here as a utility guy. I didn't need the guy to play freaking second base or shortstop. I need the guy to step in a little bit at first base. I need the guy to maybe give Bregman a breather at third base on occasion, which he can obviously do. Um, because again, the argument that I was making, if Dusty Baker is going to float this crap out about like, Hey, well, you know, Maldonado is such a great guy at handling a pitching staff. Um, you know, there are nights where you're clearly going to sacrifice offense over defense. Well, guess what? There are nights where I clearly sacrifice defense over offense. If it meant I had a professional bat that was capable of anything with pop, just good hitting and everything that you'd mentioned from the personality to the mind in the game on the field and the dugout with Yuli, I'd love to have it right now. I, I, I think he should be an Astro. I mean, there's no question about that in my mind, but in the same breath, Robert, like you do have to move on in some instances. Okay. And it's early and we don't know what this season's going to turn out to be for Jose Abreu, but Jose Abreu's never won a gold glove. I don't know that he's been heralded for his defensive prowess at first base, but he's routinely in the MVP top 10 every single year because he freaking mashes and he drives runs in. Well, he's not doing that either right now. So that does hurt you. And it is easy to see. Because there were nights when Yuli wasn't contributing that he saved your butt maybe for a run or two or three by the plays that he was making defensively, you know, or just by the positioning uh, where he was, or maybe he was helping somebody else out. Things that you don't see that never show up in even an article or a box score. So I still think it's early and, uh, you know, I'm saying all this, you still have guys like Hensley and Jolks and, um, uh, uh, who am I forgetting? Um, well, here, here's, uh, did I mention here's it? The other- Hensley and Jolks, and who was the other guy uh, that we talked about? You know, Cesar Salazar. Look, maybe the most undeserving roster spot, the one that makes least amount of sense to me because it's a third catcher, um, and you've got Yanner Diaz there. Like, I get it. An organization wants to see what they have, and they thought they were getting an upgrade. It was a misread that they thought Yuli, with his age, was in a decline at the plate. Um, maybe not defensively, and they didn't. They weren't sure how he was going to come back from his injury in the series. Um, so I, I kind of get the thinking. It, it might be a mistake that cost the Astros down the road this season and the postseason. Who knows? But to me, it's still too early to judge because as an organization that had so much success, at some point you do have to move on from certain players. And maybe they were just wrong at this particular time about Yuli. Yeah, the thing that cracks me up is Dusty saying, well, I, I didn't really trust anybody of the young guys because they haven't had enough at bats. Yeah. Well, you know what you, you know what you can trust? That Martin Maldonado is not a good hitter. 
And Martin Maldonado is likely, if you look at the record, he's got a 15-year record of not being good. Dusty says, look at the back of the baseball card. With the back of the baseball card for Martin Maldonado, we know what he is. And Corey Jolks, you know, he can be mad at Corey Jolks because Corey Jolks hadn't been up in enough big situations. But if you look at the Astros record with Corey Jolks in the lineup, I think he's undefeated. And so, like, you you got to at least give that kid a shot and you got to put him in some of these situations. And that was the situation to put him in because Martin Maldonado is bad. And like I said, if you're carrying a third catcher, what is the point unless you're willing to pinch hit for the guy that's not a good hitter, that yeah. Martin Maldonado is bad. The only player that is as bad as Martin Maldonado as a hitter right now is Jose Abreu of the regular guys in the lineup. And yeah. that's a fact, Jack. And Dusty yeah. Baker, I, I, I get tired of him saying, look at the back of the baseball card because he doesn't always look at the back of the baseball card with these decisions. He doesn't always look at the history of the guys. You know, when you, you have to look at the history guy when he's good. You also have to look at a history guy when he's not good. And the other part about this is Jeremy Pena comes out of the box and he struggles. And I agreed with knocking him down in the lineup, putting somebody else at the top. You know, hopefully Chaz McCormick's going to be okay. But, uh, you know, because he did a great job at the top of the lineup. But Jeremy Pena struggles. He moves down in the lineup. We're three weeks into the season. Jose Abreu has been bad basically since the get-go. Yeah, he was getting on base, but he wasn't driving in the runs that you wanted from Jose Abreu. Yeah. It's not difficult to go, hey, you know what? Kyle Tucker is like an MVP guy at this point. Can we bump Kyle Tucker up a spot in the lineup and move Jose Abreu a spot down? You know, just like make that decision because you, you can't afford to keep getting outs when Jordan or Bregman are not getting runs before you. And I know the left righty, the lefty righty thing. Well, here's how to fix that. Uh, if, if you want the lefty righty thing, cause T Tucker moves up one in the lineup, then move Jordan to the second spot and put Bregman in the third spot. You break him up that way, you know, just, just flip flop those guys in the lineup. And I mean, I hear that the, you know, the modern analytics guys, lineups don't matter, Sean, lineups don't matter. Well, yeah, uh, I, I just don't agree with that. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I haven't heard that, but I know, you know, that's a thing. I just, I'll, I'll, I'll die on that hill with you, man. I, I think that uh, philosophy you're saying is just total crap. Meaning lineups don't matter. Um, I'll say this, you know, with Jose Abreu, he's played in all 16 games. Maybe it's, maybe it's a time for this guy who, look, one of the things that you liked about getting Jose Abreu is the guys out there every single day. You know, it, maybe maybe he needs a couple of days, you know, to just kind of step back, evaluate some things, get in the film room, get in the cages, you know, get some extra work at first base because he hadn't taken throws from Bregman. He hadn't taken throws from Pena or Mauricio Dubon or David Hensley, whoever is at second base that particular day, you know. And, yeah, you had a little bit of spring training and you're 16 games through the regular season but it just takes some time to get used to guys and playing in that ballpark every single day and just being around this team. Maybe he just needs a couple of days to kind of reevaluate, recalibrate. Um, he hadn't missed a game. Give him some time. And it would have been a beautiful thing that if you're not really hiccuping when you need to give a guy like that time and you're paying all this money to when you have a guy like Yuli Gurriel that you can swiftly bring up off the bench and not miss a beat because he's a guy who has been there, done that for you. You don't have that luxury this season, unfortunately. But again, I, I to a certain degree, you do because 
you're slow out of the gate, but you're not in any real trouble. You know, if you need a couple of three games to give this guy a breather, maybe where he comes off the bench in a pinch hit role or a defensive replacement at some point late in the ball game, whatever the case may be, you can do that. If Hensley needs to play first base, fine. If Jordan needs to play first base one day, fine. But change it up for the guy because you well, have no problem. They've, they've, they've had Hensley play first base, I think, uh, maybe a game or two where Abreu has uh, just been hitting and not, fielding mm-hmm. they moved him to dh so you know they, they've tried yep. to do that and you just mentioned hensley and that's probably one of the reasons why he hasn't benched abreu yet is henley hensley has gotten out as, as slower actually slower than abreu i mean that's the other disappointing thing is you know mm-hmm. hensley just hadn't got it in gear at all this year either but but you know one of the things that is working to the benefit of a guy like mauricio dubon is that he's playing every day and this is the first time in his career that he's really had that opportunity to do so. And he's flourishing. He's doing fantastic. You know, maybe you give David Hensley, you know, two or three games where he knows he's going to be in the lineup the next day. He's not worrying about the game before. And it's like, man, I just went over four and I grounded into a double play and I didn't make this scoop at first or I didn't make this or that play, whatever it is. The guy knows sometimes it can just do a world of good for a player's confidence to know, you know what? I've got this series. I'm going to be out there every day. And when you're talking about a role player, knowing his role every single day, what he's going to do, where he's going to play, and where he's going to bat in a lineup, that can that can be a big help to a guy. It just relaxes you, and you know the things that you need to focus on. And at the same, but in the same breath, maybe that's what Abreu needs, you know, just to reevaluate some things at the plate. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm all for that. And you know, I was just going to say. Dusty's had no problem doing that with a number of players in this lineup already. You know, not necessarily this year with a guy like Dubon, but that's been Dubon's role. That's been Hensley's role. That's Jolks' role this year. You know, you, you said, hey, this may, this guy's maybe like undefeated or the Astros are undefeated every time he's in the lineup. Well, I don't know if that's the case, but I know they have a pretty darn good record when he is in. And we talked about him the other day. When he is in, you feel good about it. Something good's going to happen when Corey Jolks goes up to the plate. That's just the feeling you have. You trust the guy already this early as a hitter because it, the moment's not too big for him. It doesn't matter that he's playing for a World Series team. The guy knows he's he, he trusts his ability. He can go out there and hit. So I think you need to have that same mentality with your role players, maybe with some of your higher-priced guys yeah. that the expectations are super high on right now. Give him a little break. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think we all agree. Uh, Dusty at times can be infuriating because it seems like he has different uh, sort of levels or different bars for different guys. And, you know, mm-hmm. I just... I disagree with that a lot. Uh, just I'll close. My last thing is, you know, my last point, if you want to throw last point with the Astros, Hunter Brown props, tip of the cap dudes, you know, just unbelievable. Three starts, 1.02 whip, 1.93 ERA batting average against 200. He's pretty good so far. <laughs> pretty good so far. We weren't saying that after his first start, right? We were like, ah. Oh. <laughs> nobody's pitching well what, what's happening nobody's hitting nobody's pitching and then this guy puts together uh two really good outings in a row and that's what i'm telling you robert like the young guy you, you can't tell me right now guys aren't looking at that like even a brave right who's new to this ball club he knew about hunter brown a little bit you know like hey, guys are talking like man we got this young guy he was a badass for us last year and he's gonna have a big opportunity this year he's looking at him 
and he's watching his demeanor. He's watching him go out there and and, and just do his job. And, and it's do more it important that high level. It's more important that Hunter Brown gets off to a good start than Luis Garcia because Hunter Brown, you know, he's trying to get his feet on the ground where Garcia has a history. He knows he can go back to that. And I agree with you. I just think it's just going to take a bit, a little bit of time to get used to, you know, not having the the rock motion. And I don't know if that's it, but unless I I see uh, panic at all from the Astros, I, I figure he, he's going to turn. I mean, we don't see anything with velocity. He doesn't seem like he's hurt. So you just assume he's going to get that turned around. Hunter Brown yeah. getting off to a hot start for his, you know, for his psyche. It's a big deal for a, a yeah. young guy to have. And that, you just took the words out of my mouth, you know, bringing, uh, going back to Luis Garcia. He's looking at him too. And he's like, man, this young guy's out here taking care of business in a big spot, big time opportunity for him. Um, you know, he, Hunter knows he was coming into the season with a, a lot of pressure on him, that people had a lot of expectations, high expectations for him. And, you know, they're, they're going to start feeding off of that. And that's what I was getting to earlier. It's, you know, really good teams like this with, just talent uh, top to bottom in the rotation and the bullpen, your lineup every day. It's not clicking on all cylinders right now, but it will, you know, and it just maybe takes a Hunter Brown type of performance like that. It just takes watching a guy like Mauricio Dubon every day, pick a guy like Jordan Alvarez's brain and then going out there and executing it. You know, not not he's not trying to be Jordan, but he's trying to take some things from Jordan and what he's seeing at the plate, maybe a philosophy that he has in an approach to this counter, that counter, this kind of a pitcher, whatever the case may be, and apply it to what he does well. And he's doing it fantastically. And so it's going to start kind of, I think, compounding and you're going to see this domino effect occur. As long as these guys are able to stay healthy, Robert, you know who they are and they're really great team they're a world series championship team and i think we'll start to see it here uh much sooner than later keep in mind too you just got done with the rangers and who do you have over the course of the next four series i just pulled it up um you've got oh come on refresh baby you've got toronto you got atlanta you got tampa bay and you got philadelphia all four organizations either have been in the postseason in years past or at the very least have hopes and realistic hopes, aspirations of being in the postseason this year. That, that, what that's they, not what positive, the do? What do the Astros <laughs> do against really good ball clubs? They play really good baseball. And I think even Alex Bregman talked about it a day or two. Like, they're looking forward to this stretch here because that's when they perform their best. They play up to their competition. And I think now's right around the time where typically, we've talked about it, you see this ball club turning things around and start playing Houston Astro baseball. Hope you're right, man. We'll do this again in a few days. Hopefully some more Astros wins. We're T minus. Oh, my God. Is it 10 days away from the draft? So looking forward to see about any yeah. revelations in the next few days on that. Rockets, we're waiting on a coaching decision. So it's everything is it's all up in the air right now. A lot of fun stuff to talk about. Houston sports. Come join us again. Can't wait, Sean. Looking forward to it, man. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.